This is Lexis, the podcast all about linguistics. Hi, I'm Matthew Butler. I'm Jackie Glancy. I'm Dan Clayton. And I'm Lisa Casey. Right, so we've got a, a fairly short language in the news this week from us, and then we're actually going to go into an interview with one of the people who's featured in language in the news as a sort of extra bit. And it, the language in the news stuff this, this time around is all connected to multicultural London English, or MLE as it's called. By some people anyway, linguists call it MLE. Some people have called it Jafakan. It's also been kind of described as sort of roadman slang, chav speak, youth speak by various other commentators, but we'll call it MLE because that's the proper kind of word for it. And it's been it's been in the news this week, rather strangely, because it's not exactly new news, this, is it? I mean, MLE's been around for a long time, but there's been a, a load of news stories about it. And we're gonna, we'll hear a bit more about why that is from one of the linguists involved in some of these stories. But we're just going to run through a few of the news articles that have appeared about it. So I think the first of them, as you'll hear from Matt Gardner later on, was the Daily Telegraph, which on Monday ran a story that had the headline, Wagwan street slang to be Britain's main dialect. And it said multicultural London English, which has roots in the capital's migrant communities, could be the future of British English, say experts. And that article kind of talked a bit about the spread of M- or supposed spread of MLE or mm. versions of it around the UK. And you'll hear a bit more about Matt Gardner's take on that later on. But it was just that was the, the first article that kind of kicked it all off. And I think the next one was... Was it The Guardian? Yeah, so by Tuesday, um, we have a a Guardian article. Wagwan, why are more and more Britons speaking multicultural London English? Um, So this one perhaps seems a little bit less anxious um, in its stance. And a lot of of the articles that we see, you know, suggest that Emily is sweeping the country. And, Mm. you know, within within a certain amount of years, we won't be able to to understand each other because we'll have been taken over by this new dialect. The Guardian doesn't go as far as that. And it's it's quite a useful one, actually, for for examples. And I would say that it's probably a little bit more linguistically informed than than the last one. So I think that's a nice one to to look at mm-hmm. as, a, as a counterpart to to, to the telegraph um, yeah. article when I mean, the telegraph one does quote linguists which you know and and has got some good language context the kind of framing of it is the issue though isn't it and it's yeah as you and say it, it's, it's, it's of... always interesting isn't it to look at you know to look at the headlines and to look at <laughs> yeah. the you know the early parts of, of of the article so when it says it's going to be britain's main dialect i don't think any linguist no. has ever said that no. I'm, I'm pretty sure that that no linguist has ever said that the future of british english again that suggests you know mm. that it's that it will dominate and kind of take over it's all of these kind of discourses of, of perhaps yeah. kind of dominance and invasion and things that that potentially sound as though it's muscling in on, mm. on kind of real english that you know yeah. that's the way that it's that's presented which i think you know is is problematic and again in the you know in the first in the first sentence of, of the telegraph article it talks about inner city slang going mainstream and yeah. so it's all it's all of these like careful linguistic choices that suggest that it's taking over and it's something mm. that we should be concerned about, which is very different from the way that that these changes are, are presented by, by linguists, by the people yeah, yeah. who actually study language change. As you say, in the sort of that kind of idea that this is being, Emily is being represented as in opposition to some sort of real English or kind of, you know, traditional English is, is problematic. And part of the way they seem to do that, and this, this is the same for The Guardian as well, to some extent, is 
they do fixate on the vocabulary quite a lot and treat it very much as like slang. So there is that confusion mm-hmm. a little bit between it being a dialect, slang, you know, what linguists would call a multi-ethnolect as well. These articles mm-hmm. aren't very good at kind of pinning that down. Maybe the Guardian's better, like you said, but they mm-hmm. they all seem to sort of fixate on words like pang and man used as a pronoun. Um, yeah. Waste man appears. And, you know, a lot of people know these and mm-hmm. they, are, they have been part of youth slang, certainly in, in London for a long time. Mm-hmm. And most people kind of know them elsewhere. So, you know, you teach in the northeast, don't you? And it's yeah, no, your students I, I was, know these words. Yeah, <laughs> the, 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 I was yeah, I would say you know they're familiar with a lot of these words, and you know they might they might use some of them sometimes in in mm. context in different contexts. It's not something that, and I mean, I, I've had my ears out for about ten years now. You know, waiting for <laughs> <laughs> waiting for the the kind of emergence of, is, of this dialogue inside, but it seems to be passing us by. You know, I'm not yeah. I'm not hearing a lot of it certainly you know in the with the students that 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 I'm teaching and kind of listening to when I'm on lunch duty and things like that so I don't feel as I don't feel as though you know it's kind of the mainstream dialect or or sociolect you know certainly within the young people that that I'm in contact with. So after the Guardian one then we started to get some other articles appear so what we then got I think was on Thursday Thursday the 16th we had the mail picked it up and you always Mm. have to kind of you know you're (laughs) <laughs> and then yeah. I start twitching for great yeah. language discourse and stuff when the mail picks it up. Uh-huh. Mm. And yeah, and I think you know th- this is where mm, <laughs> it just it just becomes more explicit, doesn't it? So mm. you know the headline Wagwan with our beautiful language, and yeah. you know even you know even with within that that sentence, just the way that 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 noun phrase language is is modified, our beautiful language yeah. suggests that that you know that there's there's something that we should be concerned about here. There's a threat mm. here. And then in the second sentence, as experts say, an urban dialect is taking over. Yeah. Um, Iram um, Ramzan argues that not all change is good. So mm. I think kind of, you know, the, the male are very good at raising anxiety levels. Um, <laughs> but, then, but, but then also kind of just like providing a platform and an opportunity for for commentators to to kind of to express their more kind of I don't know but it, 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 it it's 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 racist kind of kind of commentary isn't it that's bad by, by the time you get to the comments the doors open oh yeah and, there are, and yeah. there are quite you know quite a few I would say pretty much explicitly racist comments um, yeah yeah and 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 they are given a public platform yeah yeah, the door's opened, isn't it, by the whole framing of this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, e- even parts of this, I think, are kind of dog whistly, aren't they? I mean, like you say, the kind of our beautiful language, well, who, who's us? Yeah. And, you know, the implied suggestion is the traditional beautiful language is now under threat from this, the implication being an ugly language. And it's that sort of fixation mm-hmm. on, you know, things like Wagwan and Mandem. Within the first line, chirpsing is there, peng. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the second line of the male one, they even put diverse in scare quotes. And it's mm. that sort of idea that that's being held out at arm's length and being sort of sneered at. Yeah. And I think as well, there is, I mean, I'm, I'm bound to say this as a, as a kind of Londoner, but I do think there is a very anti-London thread to some of the comments about this, that, that it doesn't, you, you don't have to be online very long to realise that lots of people see London or view London through the kind of lens of, xenophobia and racism i mean there is mm. you know, there, there are lots of comments about 
Sadiq Khan and the M25 and people in London not being the same as the rest of the UK yeah. and England. Yeah, um, and, 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 and it's London's that... Bad. Yeah. yeah, and I think there's, there's a deliberate representation of London, Londoners as as kind of involved in, in violence and, no. and drug dealing. And there are, you know, there are de- deliberate references in the middle of the article, it says, but now MLA spurred by the awful grime and drill music that idolized violence and drug dealing is taking over modern teenagers speech yeah and then it, you know it talks about you know like shank you know like shank as a nice and 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 it so it's the the focus is on the on the the elements of the language that deal with violence deal with drug mm. dealing but then kind of the inference is that that somehow this language is in some way Kind of um, perpetuating the, those yeah, kind yeah. of antisocial behaviors, yeah. Which, which, which is an odd thing, you know. Like how, how can a language, <laughs> how can it a language you, do that? Yeah, it but, makes yeah, you make, violent. Make you take drugs and and be violent. Yeah, um, I mean, just yeah, the, by the, reading the, the, this, I've started smoking crack. So I mean, that, <laughs> you know, but it's one of those things, isn't it? As well, that is the, the the whole thing about slang and that, but you know, those are slang terms that have been mm-hmm. looking around in all sorts of kind of sociolects for a while, but. Slang has often been about sex and violence and weapons because the nature of slang is it's kind of, you know, is it a cryptolect, kind of a hidden secret language to kind of keep your dealings away from, mm. you know, the police, the dirty Babylon, mm-hmm. the popo, the feds or whatever you, you call them. And you've got, you know, all of that kind of stuff is is all through the history of English. Whatever kind of social group you're talking about, slang has been used to do those things. Mm-hmm. But it's this sort of conflation of these things with a multi-ethnolect and mm-hmm. a, a naturally kind of organically developing variety of English or varieties of English, you know, among people who just kind of, you know, it's like, it's like another dialect and that, yeah. no dialect is intrinsically good or bad mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in the same way, you know. Or has cast... the power to make people behave in a yeah, exactly. yes. bad way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's, I mean, there's loads in that male one, as you might imagine. It's, uh, and in the show notes, you'll get a link to that. But also, as, as as Jackie was saying about the comments, I mean, there are some really awful ones. So it's probably a content warning on some of those. But also, at the same time, there are some really interesting discourses among those. And in the interview with Matt later on, I kind of put a few of those to him for his response. And he's <laughs> he's very good dealing with some of those comments, the online responses to the mail mm-hmm. thing. So after the mail one, we then had a couple of quite sensible ones that appeared. There was one from the London Evening Standard, which was a comment piece entitled Britain would be dull if my London accent wipes out all of the others. Now, it has still got those kind of discourses about kind of like conflict, invasion, takeover, but it's Mm -hmm. delivered from a slightly different angle. And this comes from uh, Tamiwa Oladi, who's one of the opinion writers, I think, for the Evening Standard. And he says, by the end of this century, the slang I grew up speaking in my little pocket of inner London with my mates will be the dominant dialect of Britain. According to Matt Gardner, a professor of linguistics at Oxford, MLE will eventually rule the roost. Well, mm, he didn't say that. Um, mm-hmm. MLE is a mixture of Jamaican, African, Asian, Cockney influences. Words like pang and bear will soon be part of the normal vocabulary up and down this green and pleasant land. But he then goes on. I mean, a lot of that is actually a bit kind of dubious, but he then does go to talk about the kind of sense of a kind of richness of variety and how that's a good Mm -hmm. thing and how the worry for him would be if one variety became more dominant than others. And again, it's not necessarily something that any of those linguists actually said that MLE would become the most dominant one. They were just talking about how it's spreading and changing in different ways and 
reaching other parts of the country. Yeah, and he, he also picks up on on some research from Robert McKenzie, who who we talked to mm. just a couple of weeks ago. So yeah. there's a nice kind of link there, just to you know, kind of like how accents will always. Well, perhaps always, but how accents mark people and mm. how people stereotype others based on their accent. And I think, you know, the same is true. I mean, Robert McKenzie was talking about kind of northern and southern accents. Uh, but, you know, we we certainly get the same happening here, don't we, with, you know, with MLE and and the kind of like stereotypes associated with yeah. the, the accent, the accent and, and the dialect. That's, I mean, it's worth a look at that one because it's it's one of those that's got some interesting things in it and addresses a sort of wider issue. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a little bit more kind of balanced, I think. And then there was also a really, I thought, a really good piece from The Eye. And this is by Kuba Shan-Baptiste, who is Assistant Opinion Editor of The Eye. And mm-hmm. this was one entitled The Multicultural London English Dialect is 40 years old, but middle-class Britain is still terrified. And in here, she looks at the coverage of it which is re- really interesting article she talks yeah. about it's patronizing coverage about the impending dominance of terms like ting and mandem show how divided the country still is mm-hmm. so she uses this very much to kind of explore you know the ways in which those papers and those reports have covered mle as a kind yeah. of window into the psyche which is a great way of exploring discourses yeah, I mean, I think it's inter- it's interesting that that she frames it as kind of like demonstrating how divided the country still is. I think there's also, you know, we, we could argue that the flip side and 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 think about how our press divides and sets up these divisions yeah. in in the way that it, it frames, you know, and, and different media outlets frame stories and and create a division that that may or may not actually be there but no. they'll do their very best to you know to, to help kind of create and sustain those those divisions within society and there's some great bits in this article where she sort of talks through you know some of the ways in which she thinks the coverage is kind of rather demeaning of mm-hmm. young people she says though the framing of MLE as exclusively useful makes sense in terms of its development of mainstream popularity and she quotes Paul Kurzweil here as well. Mm-hmm. For many of the groups these terms stem from, their use is far more widespread regardless of age. And it's it, that's an interesting kind of point, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. MLE's been around since at least the mid-2000s as a linguistic thing and has yeah. been developing for much longer. So many of those kind of young users of MLE, like the students I was teaching in London in the sort of mid-2000s, and now... You know they're in they're in their thirties and heading on yeah. to forty, and they're you know, that's yeah. the language they grew up with. It wasn't just mm-hmm. a huge slang; it was mm-hmm. a multi-ethnolect that is still being used around them. Many of them are still using. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what happens with real dialects, isn't it? Rather than just yeah. a kind of faddish affectation of slang for a short while that you use as a kid and then drop out of. Um, she also talks about kind of racial and class differences, which is you know, and oversimplistic interpretations of those in relation to MLE. So. There's some really interesting stuff in there. And she's good at giving us a kind of the backstory to it. So there's a lot of reference to the story about David Starkey, who back mm. in 2011 was complaining about MLE in, I think, racist terms. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And goes back through, you know, looking at some of what some of the more qualified linguists have said about it, like Paul Kurzweil, for example, who's, who's done loads on particularly media coverage of it. 
So there's yeah. a good range of stuff there. And I think, you know, I mean, the, the even though the story kind of presents this as a, you know, a new phenomenon, it's when when we look back at those, you know, like there's plenty of articles around kind of 2010, 2012, would yeah, you say? Yeah. And it, it's a very similar narrative. Um, and then, you know, it makes you think, well, why does this narrative, why is this narrative pushed at certain points, you know, in, in, in time? I was thinking, you know, like, is it a coincidence that, that, this, that this story comes out in the same week that, that we're, you know, we're trying to send um, refugees to Rwanda, you know, and it, and it all becomes part of the same kind of discussion about, you know, how we represent and treat people from, from, from you know, different ethnic backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, so I think you know there's that there are there are reasons why some of these stories come out at particular times that we, mm. that we might be conscious of if if we're thinking about kind of context. Yeah, yeah, and that's wider all, context. Yeah. That all is part of the sort of background to the discourses, isn't it? Really, mm-hmm. you know, that these ideas that these are tapping into wider issues and concerns and themes and conversations. Yeah, and how they frame those and how they, as you say, how they actually sort of contribute to some of those as well. But that's enough from us for now. The next bit is going to be an interview that we did with Dr. Matt Hunt-Gardner, a departmental lecturer in sociolinguistics at the University of Oxford. And we got in touch with him uh, after some of these stories had been covered in the press, as he was one of the linguists quoted. And very obligingly, and at a very short notice, uh, Matt joined us to answer a few questions about those articles. It was a slightly crackly line, um, so apologies for that, but he's got a lot of interesting things to say. So Matt, what spurred this uh, current interest in MLE from the newspapers? I think that all of this renewed interest in talking about MLE came about originally because it was a slow news day. I think that there has been some questions or some ideas amongst newspaper writers that perhaps because of the rising house prices in London, that people will be moving out of London and perhaps bringing MLE to the countryside or to other smaller communities. Right. And... I think that's what kicked it off. Yeah. What we, people who study <laughs> language or linguistics always sort of find amusing is, you know, every couple of years, people have a panic that mm. young people are destroying the language. Yeah. And so, you know, they decide to interview us about how language is changing and how language is always changing and how that, you know, standard language is a fiction and yeah. that, you know, kids aren't destroying the language every couple of years. And so it's always, we always find it funny. The yeah. things that we've been noticing and talking about for, you know, 10, 15 years, all of a sudden become big news again. I am not an expert in MLE. I study language change more generally. And so like, I keep trying to direct people to the people who actually do research on MLE uh, specifically, but somehow the newspapers are attributing to me this idea that I that MLE is somehow going to take over right. British English in the next hundred years. I think all I said was that British English in a hundred years is not going to be the same as it is today. And that's natural and normal. And that generally when language change happens in the UK, it's usually towards things that start out in London and then spread out to right. other communities after that. So if yeah. MLE is the thing that's happening in London now, the expectation would be that those features might get shared with the rest of the country, you know, yeah. over a hundred years. But the other thing is, is that I think what a lot of people misunderstand is that when we say that 
speech or features of MLE are spreading to the rest of the country. It doesn't mean that people, you know, in Northumbria are going right. to sound like they're from East London. It just means oh, no. that there are certain certain innovations that started out in, in London that people in Northumbria might use in certain occasions sometimes. It doesn't mean yeah. that the dialect is going to be completely changed. And so there is no main dialect in the UK, right? So there's no main dialect to change. There are all kinds of different dialects. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And that's normal and natural and mm. unsurprising. Yeah. And the idea that something that starts out in East London or originates in East London, you know, might be used by somebody in, you know, uh, the, like the north of Scotland at some mm. point isn't something we should be afraid of. Yeah. And yeah. shouldn't should shouldn't be shouldn't be put within this like larger narrative of yeah. somehow of invasion and takeover which frankly is using sort of a misunderstanding of linguistics to tap into perhaps people's anxieties about immigrants or yeah, people yeah. who have a different skin color or, or people who come from a lower socioeconomic class. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's surprising to me how linguistic criticism gets used as social criticism and plays into narratives of, you know, replacement or... Yeah, <laughs> well, that... I'm in a way that just isn't true. Yeah, yeah. And particularly, yeah. I was kind of thinking, you know, we've, we've, we've seen these stories about MLE circulating. I mean, I was going back through links that I'd kind of gathered since teaching MLE back in South London years ago. And we've got something from 2006 from the Daily Mail saying Jafakan is wiping out inner city English accents. That's 2006. We've got something from 2011 from Lindsay Johns, who's a bit of a sort of favourite of A-level language teachers. Ghetto grammar robs the young of a proper voice. We've got 2016, where the Daily Express says Queen's English to be wiped out from London due to high levels of immigration. It's all it's exactly the same kind of, you know, narrative. Oh, 100%. So, yeah. But first of all, that's not the narrative that any linguist is. No, no. Of course. That's that's the narrative of newspaper writers. And no. it's this it's scary because it's framing the idea that people from immigrant communities have an effect on the local language, which again, normal, natural, nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. It's somehow an indication that I, like immigrants are coming and taking our jobs or immigrants are coming and taking over the community, which is real dangerous language yeah. from a, from a social perspective. And again, isn't anything that linguists are saying. And, yeah, and sure. I think reveals from the greater society somehow this, I, I don't know, anxiety over either immigrant communities or uh, about the youth or, you know, it doesn't surprise me that that mm. takes place in a time period in the UK where there was such fervent support amongst certain people for removing the UK from the EU or limiting immigration to the UK. Like, to me, it's really dangerous rhetoric. And it, it makes me sad that what should be celebrated as an enrichment of the English language because of, you know, the interaction between, you know, you know Anglo-British people and yeah. people from Afro-Caribbean regions or South Africa or sorry, South Asia or yeah. other parts of the world. And something that should be celebrated is in fact used as part of this rhetoric of, yeah. And I mean, phobia or racism. And it kind of denies the history of English anyway, doesn't it? Because it's a, it's a language that's changed to the context. A hundred percent throughout the entire history of the English language. And so, 
you know, if, if anything, the, one of the ways that we characterize English as being different from other languages is because it has been so open to borrowing and influence from other languages. That's part of what makes English so rich as a language. Mm. When we look at the dictionary, the English dictionary, and just how many different words have been recorded within the English language, it's staggeringly huge compared to some of the other dictionaries. I think the next largest one is German. And we're talking orders of magnitude larger. And the reason that we have so many different words and phrases in our language is because we've interacted with people. Yeah. Whether or not that was a peaceful and, and happy No, exactly. <laughs> if not, that was, was an interaction of colonialism yeah. or yeah. is a different story. But the fact that English has been enriched by contact with other languages or with people from different parts of the world is undeniable. Yeah, yeah. So just, I mean, tracing it back to the, the sort of first contact you had, the, the Daily Telegraph contacted you initially. So that was the first story that you were aware of. They, came, they, they contacted me to ask me about MLE. Right. What I told them was that I'm not an expert in MLE and that, but I can talk about language change in a more broad sense. Yeah, yeah. That I, that I teach about MLE and talk about MLE with my students at Oxford. And that, you know, I have a whiteboard up on my wall with sort of interesting words and phrases students mm. have, have noticed over the past week, you know, and a number of those features are a number of those words and phrases are things from MLE that they yeah. you know, want to talk about. And what I did was I, you know, forwarded the contact information for a number of experts on MLE to the Daily Telegraph and yeah. even like provided them you know, some research on MLE. Uh, <laughs> You've done as much as you possibly can. Like I tried my yeah. best to give yeah. them, you know, real and accurate information. And then the headline yeah. that comes out is MLE to be the main dialect in the UK in the next hundred years, which is not at all what I said. No, and presumably you've so, also seen the mail, have you? The mail is fun. So I, I talked to a couple of other newspapers and I talked to the BBC. Right. And in all of those, I was quite up in, you know, quite clear that I wasn't an expert on MLE specifically. And one of the things that I tried to emphasize was that a lot of this hysteria around MLE is based on this myth that there is a standard in English that we all must uh, as like aspire to use. And that any other form of English is somehow a broken form of English. Yeah, yeah. Or some, it's, it's somehow a, a deficit, like it, it's this idea that people who don't speak standard English are have some kind of deficit. Yeah, or substandard. Right? Like yeah. Substandard. And I said, all of this pearl clutching about how the young don't speak proper standard English is ridiculous mm. and founded on myth about standard English and that what really needs to happen is there needs to be a change such that if you are a speaker of MLE, that shouldn't prevent you from, you know, being successful academically, professionally, yeah. socially. And that the fact that it currently is said it, it has to do with sort of judgments we make about MLE speakers. Yeah. And you know, the fact, what I had said, I think to, I think it was to the Daily Mail, you know, when I said, you know, the fact that I know the word pain doesn't stop me from being a linguistics professor at the University of Oxford. Yeah, exactly. It, it does, if I'm a user of pain or other features of Emily, that definitely can act as a way in which people will stigmatize you and perhaps prevent certain people from mm. 
being able to access higher education or jobs or, you know, different things. Like people do make judgments about people who use MLE. So I, I, you know, I, when I say that it doesn't prevent me from being a professor in linguistics, I'm obviously talking from a place of privilege. I've never been denied yeah, sure. just yeah. services for a job yeah, yeah. because of the way that I see yeah. it, right? But there definitely are people that do that. And the other thing that I think that gets lost in the, the, the discussion as well is that nobody is a single style of speaker. Yeah. Right. So, you know, if I am somebody who can speak MLE, it doesn't necessarily mean that that prevents me from no, exactly. you know, having a conversation with, with somebody in a, a more standard form of English. Because yeah, yeah. We all have a different way of speaking, you know, when we're being formal and then when we're at the pub with our friends. Right? Yeah. And that's, again, normal and natural. I think what people worry about is that if you are somebody who, you know, grew up speaking MLE and speaks with MLE, or some other regional variety of English with mm. your friends and family, and then try to go to school. And in school, you know, you're being taught standard English, and there's a mismatch between the expectation and what you speak at home that there could somehow be a disadvantage for you. And so I think parents are really anxious that they want their, their kids to speak standard English because they feel like it'll make things easier for them at school mm. or because that's the goal of what school is, trying to teach you standard English. And I think that part of what the school needs to do is be cognizant of the fact that people come to school with different regional accents yeah. and, and not make them feel judged or bad because of it, but also show them, hey, like in certain situations in the society as it exists today, a certain form of English is preferred in a job interview. And here's the differences between sort of what you're coming to the table with and what what the people at the job interview are maybe expecting from you. Would it be better if the people at the job interview didn't <laughs> judge you because you spoke a different way from them? Yeah, of course it would be. But here's how to navigate that situation going forward. I think having a more non-judgmental and informed way of teaching students yeah. is shown to be successful. And Yeah, and I mean, studying the language helps yeah. do that, doesn't it? A hundred percent, yeah. Yeah, so well, that's interesting. For me, it's like, yeah, this all the, what's been going on this week in the newspaper is A, uh, you need to examine why you feel outrage. B, yeah. n- n- absolutely nothing new or something that we don't know about language. Mm. C, in- indicative sort of an, a constant trend of you know older people or people in positions of power yeah. feeling like there are young people or immigrants who are destroying the language, which just isn't true. And yeah, it's in fact the opposite of what of what is happening. I've got my eyes on some of the Daily Mail comments that appeared afterwards. Because, I mean, if you think the stories were bad, God. Oh, I've been called lots of things in those comments. I started reading them and then decided I, I can't I can't read anymore. It's a full of masochism, isn't it, to read the Daily don't Mail? Underst- don't understand. But if you want to go through some of them there, and I, I'll give you sort of my take as a linguist on. So if I, if I just run a few of the Mail Online comments past you, and we'll get your responses as a linguist and a, and a human being to these. Right. So here's somebody claiming they're from Kew, in, presumably in West London. Great lingo if your aspirations are to work in a burger bar or as a hob carrier. I think they mean hod carrier. So there's some literacy issues there, but not much else. What do you make of that one? Well, I think that that is indicative of the accent bias that exists in London and in uh, elsewhere in the UK, which is terrible and we should work against. I think that, again, it presumes that people only speak in one style, which is not true. Yeah. And there are lots of jobs that I would have a difficulty doing because I don't speak the speech features or I don't use the speech features that are associated with them. I would have a hard time fitting in with fishermen in Cornwall. Yeah. The same way that a fisherman in Cornwall may find it challenging to fit in, you know, in 
the senior common room at Trinity College here at Oxford for a little while. (laughs) Right. For a little while. But then you would, you you know, come to realize, okay, what is, what is the sort of way that people speak here? Yeah. And, and learn how to do that. And that's normal and natural. Yeah. Here's someone who has an amusingly offensive name, Fur Q from London, illiterate gibberish spouted by Ficos. Yeah, that is racism and prejudice and that's just racism and prejudice okay probably on a similar theme here's someone calling themselves vatican cameos in what used to be england that's always a good sign when they give us <laughs> the yeah. location if they want to speak like jamaicans i suggest they go and live in jamaica this is england wow yeah so <laughs> so first of all what does somebody from england sound like i'm mean, yeah. like you know, take a hundred random people in England and see if they all sound the same, and they don't. The other thing is that he definitely doesn't sound like his grandparents in the same way that somebody who has grandparents in Jamaica doesn't sound like people in Jamaica. No, no. And that, yeah, that you know, the way that you fit in in East London, in an sort of like the an urban context with young people, is by speaking like those young people. And if those young people are from you know, they have Jamaican grandparents or they have Indian grandparents or they have Japanese grandparents or they have Cockney grandparents. The way that they speak to each other is going to be informed by what everybody brings to the table. Mm. And if I want to fit in with that group, I have to learn how to fit in with that group and speak like them. And if I want to learn how to hang out with that guy and his like xenophobic friends at the pub, I would have to learn how to speak like those xenophobic friends <laughs> at the pub. Yeah. And that's normal and natural. Yeah. And that we'll go to a different you know, pub and hang out with Yeah, I wouldn't I first of all, yeah. I wouldn't want to speak. I wouldn't yeah. want to learn how to hang out with him and his friends anyway. Yeah. So that's a, that's probably a good a good one to end on. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. There are some worse ones, but I won't even go there. <laughs> They're in a similar theme. Yeah. It's just so interesting when you you know, we always go go on to students about how language is like a proxy for other things. And it's just so, Percent. it's so kind of visceral, this, isn't it? You kind of think, oh, right, it's, it's mainly race. There's a lot of racism and xenophobia in these. There's a whole kind of sense as well about London being a terrible place because it's not English anymore. It's, you know, there's that kind of whole narrative about it being a kind of, you know, at the, I mean, there's one person who talks about it as that like we need an independence referendum from London and the rest of the country should separate, secede from it. Um, oh, listen, people need to be watchful because that's the same rhetoric that, that people have made about immigrants or people mm. of different skin color in other places that has led to much, much like pain and suffering. Right. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I don't want to I don't want to reduce everything to, to Hitler. But like that is the replacement theory that drove Nazism in, in you know, pre World War Two Germany. Yeah. Uh, two things in the U.S. now. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. like like it. <laughs> I think that people need to to check themselves and yeah. ask, what am I actually really saying here when I say that, you know, immigrant-informed ways of speaking are taking over the country? The other thing is that I think that people also need to realize that the standard is a fiction and is mutable and has changed over yeah. time. Like, the thing is, is that written English is, nobody speaks written English. No, written English not, is, is, yeah. is, is a way that, first of all, it's not language people don't you have to go to school to learn how to write it's a it's an acquired skill yeah um and nobody speaks the same way that they write no ever right and it's it's a totally separate beast it's like yeah and so the idea that we should all speak the way that we write is wrong yeah and 
because yeah. and and that the idea that somebody who speaks a multi-ethnolect or regional variety of English is incapable of using standard English writing again is also wrong. Mm. So yeah, this is this is social judgment by way of linguistic criticism. Yeah. I'm just giving my perspective as an outsider who has specific education in language and, and like expertise in language variation and change. Yeah. And telling people in Britain, like, stop clutching your pearls, like stop being so xenophobic and racist, and accept that, you know, different forms of English exist and are enriching to the language overall. And being a speaker of a non-standard dialect in no way prevents you from being able to master standard English. The only way in which it prevents you from being successful is because people have accent bias and treat you differently because you sound different from them. And so what really needs to change is people's perception and their biases. It's not, it's not the way that people are who are speaking regional or you know, inner city dialects they are not the ones that need to change. It's mm. us that needs to change and stop yeah. judging people. 